3: Is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment
2: on radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know.
4: Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named
5: you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then?
6: It speaks about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because
1: ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X,
2: I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Jijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu
1: Jamal. America's chickens
2: are coming
4: home passes a three strike law and then wants us to sing God bless America no no no
7: not God bless America God
0: And now to Our Common Ground with Janice
6: Graham. And good evening, and thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. We hope that you are well. We want you to do something for us uh, before we begin our program tonight, because you know we got some CP problems up in and on Our Common Ground. We want you to email a friend. We want you to go to our Facebook page which is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, and share this broadcast event announcement. We are here each Saturday night at 10 p.m., and we are here for you. We hope that you will find independent urban progressive talk radio to your liking if you are new. We have, this is our, 31st year broadcasting and our seventh year on the internet as an independent enterprise. You know, we are just like disconnected from the rules that govern other kinds of talk radio. So we want you to take a seat, get a drink um if you are not familiar with the issue of fair housing and the fair housing act which was passed in 1965 as part of the legacy that uh this country made a decision to establish in honor of Dr Martin Luther King um you can go to our Facebook page and you can we, we we provide background information on every program that we present at our common ground. For those of you who are listening on your smart devices and you want to join our live unmoderated chat room that gets a little uh dicey. I want to say seedy, but it doesn't really get seedy. It gets a little dicey. One thing that is different uh, about the Our Common Ground Media and Communications uh, products is that we're serious about this. We're serious for the race, by the race, and in the race because race matters in America. There is no doubt. I mean, all you have to do is have even a tiny, 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 tiny glimpse of what has occurred since the brown man occupied the White House. That the scab was broken open about how much Race does matter in this country. So tonight, we're looking at another issue, really which is about uh, housing discrimination. Uh, the Fair Housing Act protects a number of groups. But its genesis really is in trying to break the chains and the stranglehold of both segregation and discrimination against black and brown people in this country against black people in this country it was part of if you don't know the history it was part it, it was part of the the package that went with the civil rights act that was passed in 19 64 but Congress made kinda of like a real clerical mistake. They left out the housing part. I'm serious. <laughs> you can laugh, but they left they left it out. There's a title two, there's a title seven, there's a title but title six which is the non discrimination in housing section of the Civil Rights Act when they published the act when they published the Civil Rights Act in nineteen sixty four they forgot to put in the housing card, and that is why the housing part of the civil rights package signed by uh president Lyndon Johnson time of at the time of the civil rights act the fair housing act had to be separate it's a very uh interesting interesting history but let me tell you what is going on now what is going on now is that this week the US Supreme Court took up one of the most important Civil rights cases of the last decade. In case you didn't know, you were not paying attention. If you've never heard of Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs v. The, the Inclusive Communities Project, there are a lot of people who have not. The issue of housing segregation. Really hasn't been a topic that people go around, except for people like me and uh, my dear brother, the Our Common Ground boys, James Perry, who is a an affordable housing and fair housing expert, and he's the former executive director of one of the most effective fair housing advocacy advocacy uh, organizations in the country the New Orleans um, of Louisiana that's New Orleans of Louisiana Fair Housing Center but this time around uh, I think that we really have to pay attention Because see when the Supreme Court was looking at issues relative to the Voting Rights Act so many of us were not paying attention So many of us had no voice in that. And and I'm going to talk about how people get voices at the Supreme Court, because they're as political and as corrupt as all the rest of them, if you ask me. But two days after the Martin Luther King Jr. King Day holiday, the court heard arguments in this Texas case. And if you want to find out more about it, we have placed both the transcript and the background information on this case. So they heard these arguments, and many of us feared, and I've been talking about it on this broadcast for for many weeks, that the court would gut the Fair Housing Act. And as you talk to your friends about this, as you talk to other people about this, go to work and talk about it on Monday, or go to church tomorrow and talk about it at church tomorrow, it is the landmark 1968 law that was passed just days after Martin Luther King was assassinated. And this case has as broad of a reach as anything this Supreme Court has decided in the last 10 years and tonight at our common ground we're going to be talking with James Perry about the implications of this uh, of even the arguments that went before the court this week let me tell you a little about uh, James Perry and he's going to be joining us he's the former executive director of the Greater New Orleans Fair Housing Action Center. He's a housing expert. He is the affordable he is an expert in the area of affordable housing and housing discrimination. He founded the Gulf Coast Fair Housing Center in Mississippi when he was just twenty six years old. He led the Greater New Orleans Fair Housing Action Center through two of America's greatest disasters, Hurricane Katrina and Rita. Under his leadership, the center favorably settled an historic class action suit, resulting in compensation of more than $500 million for Katrina victims. He's testified before Congress eight times. And he was also a candidate in 2010 when he first joined us here at our common ground in the mayoral election race in uh, New Orleans. He serves on the board of directors of the National Fair Housing Alliance, the National Low Income Housing Alliance Coalition, the Gulf Coast Fair Housing Center, and he chairs. The Louisiana Housing Alliance Board of Directors. He is a graduate of the University of New Orleans and he received his Juris Doctorate from Loyola University School of Law. He has served as a longtime leader in this issue of housing discrimination and affordable housing, and we are really pleased to have him join us tonight if you do nothing else please go to our common ground facebook page and look at all of and take a look review all of the references that we have provided in regard to this case and 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 just as you listen to our, my conversation and discussion with James Perry tonight understand that the Fair Housing Act protects children, protects homeowners, protects people who are looking for mortgages and loans to do home rehabilitation. It prote- protects m- minorities. It protects women. These are specific protections under that under this law. It 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 protects seniors, it protects disabled persons. It even has regulatory interface having to do with domestic violence. And 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 I want you to be clear about how important this law is, and how important this case. Now, there will be some uh, discussion about what the court might do. But if how the court, this court, this Roberts Court, approached the Voting Rights Act, this act, the Fair Housing Act, will see the same treatment the case concerns whether the fair housing act which in its inception sought to end long-standing segregation of america's neighborhoods and protection of people who not only faced intentional housing discrimination and housing discrimination comes in many forms and we'll and I'm going to talk about that with uh James Perry when he joins us it comes in the form of both rental purchase location even comes in the form of predatory lending it comes in the form of you're looking for an apartment it's has five bedrooms and you have eight children and we'll talk about you about about of that but the background is that all 11 of the federal circuit courts that have considered the question of how you measure discrimination because the inclusive communities project um, uh, in this case at the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs is simply saying that discrimination does not happen unless it's intentional. We all know that that's not true. We also know that in addition to the old modes of discrimination of any kind, of racial discrimination of any kind, that you can't prove intent. And what the Fair Housing Act provides in its regulatory undertones is that you can measure impact, keyword, disparate impact. This Texas case marks the third effort in as many years by this court to consider the intent, intent and the reach of the Fair Housing Act. Unfortunately, the other two cases were settled. I think that how this case from Texas got to the Supreme Court is a setup. You know how they set it up. Because this court wanted to, hey, my words, wanted to intercede And get in on the game and create a definition about what is housing discrimination and how it is measured. In about ten minutes, James Perry, our guest, and he is an Our Common Ground voice, is going to be joining us, but I want to share this background information with you. You're listening to Our Common Ground tonight the future of the Fair Housing Act.
7: Where we are dealing with hard economic and social issues and it means that the job is much more difficult, it's much easier to integrate a lunch counter than it is to guarantee an annual income. It's much easier to integrate a bus than it is to get a program that will force the government to put billions of dollars into ending slums, that it's a wonderful thing to work and be concerned about integrating public accommodations, integrating the public schools, which uh, schools which I will continue to work for with uh, vigor and with zeal. But I've also but got to be concerned about the survival of a world in which to be integrated. And these issues to me are tied together in that sense. America may have many, many days but they will be full of trouble. There will be no rest. There will be no tranquility in this country until the nation comes to terms with our problems. Accounts for our constant spiritual and psychological death here at homes. I weighed the criticisms that I would get. Yep. I thought about even the fact that some Negroes wouldn't understand, and some respectable Negro leaders who are more concerned about being invited to the White House than invited to the cause of justice would be against. Any city uh, is potentially explosive if the power structure in that city is not willing to grant the necessary concessions and uh, give the necessary victories to the nonviolent movement that will give the negro a sense of hope legislation that will make fair employment policies a reality in law enforcement agencies because here again we have segregated justice through and through and it's almost lily white from policemen uh, right on down to the courtroom and employees within courts and in jails where we are dealing with hard economic and social issues. And it means that the job is much more difficult. It's much easier to integrate a lunch counter than it is to guarantee an annual income. It's much easier to integrate a bus than it is to get a program that will force the government to put billions of dollars into ending slums. It's... Uh
5: On an April afternoon in the year 1966, I asked a distinguished group of citizens that were interested in human rights to meet me in the Cabinet Room in the White House. In their presence that afternoon, I signed a message to the Congress. That message called for the enactment, and I quote, of the first effective federal law against discrimination in the sale and the rental of housing in the United States of America. Few in the nation, and the record will show that very few in that room that afternoon, believed that fair housing would in our time become the unchallenged law of this land. And, indeed, this bill has had a long and stormy trip. We did not get it in 1966. We pled for it again in 1967, but the Congress took no action that year. We asked for it again this year, and now, at long last this afternoon, its day has come. I do not exaggerate when I say that the proudest moments of my presidency have been times such as this, when I have signed into law the promises of a century.
0: Federal judge on Monday threw out a housing regulation issued by President Barack Obama's administration that said racial bias claims can be based on seemingly neutral practices that may have a discriminatory effect. District Judge Richard Leone said the Fair Housing Act allows for only direct discrimination claims and not those based on so-called disparate impact allegations. The Supreme Court last month said it would take up a related case and is likely to decide by the end of June once and for all whether the fair housing act allows for disparate impact lawsuits.
1: To the Supreme Court now, where arguments were heard today on a housing discrimination case that could have sweeping effects across the country. To walk us through what happened, is NewsHour contributor Marcia Coyle of the National Law Journal. Welcome back. We saw you just last night. Yes, you did. Happy to be back. A here. lot going on at the court. So, Marcia, this is a case being closely watched in many places, including the civil rights community. Tell us That's what it's That's right. About. Uh, the Texas Housing Agency administers a system of federal tax credits to developers who will build housing for low-income families. The uh, Inclusive Communities Project in Texas is an organization that uh, advocates integration of predominantly white suburbs of Dallas, Texas. The project sued the Texas Housing Agency claiming it had violated the Federal Fair Housing Act. because. Most of the development that was receiving federal tax credits was being done in poor minority communities. The lower federal courts said that the project could bring the kind of claim that it has brought under the federal law, something we call disparate impact claim. That claim says Texas Housing Agency seems to have a policy for these tax credits neutral on its face, but it has a discriminatory effect. Uh, when, it's, when it's actually applied. The question before the Supreme Court, which was brought by the state of Texas, is whether you can bring this type of claim, which has been available for 40-some years under the Fair Housing Act. So at, at the core, some of what's at the core of this is whether it discriminates, even though there was an intention, yes. the effect is to discriminate. Now, these are the kinds of cases that haven't come to the court. Uh, in recent years. This particular question has not reached the court, although Ten federal courts of appeals have addressed it and have found that this type of claim is available under the Housing Act. So tell us about the arguments made and how the justices reacted. You know, Judy, any time this particular court deals with a race-related question, it seems to almost always divide them ideologically. And that played out a bit during the arguments today. You had uh, Justices Ginsburg, Breyer, uh, Sotomayor, and Kagan steering their toughest questions to the Texas uh, Housing Agency's lawyer. Justice Breyer, for example, said, why should the Supreme Court now, after this claim's been available for 40 years, 10 federal appellate courts have said it's okay, why should we say that it's not available under this particular law? And the Texas lawyer made two arguments. He said the plain language of the federal law doesn't say that it's available. It only addresses intentional discrimination, not... Impact discrimination. And also, he said if governments and zoning officers, the banks, lenders are faced with disparate impact liability, they're going to be forced to make race conscious decisions. On the other side, we heard arguments the Solicitor General of the United States and the lawyer for the project that sued defended the use of these claims. Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Alito and Justice Scalia, they had some problems with the availability of the claim. Chief Justice Roberts said, you know, how do you tell what's a good impact and a bad impact? Maybe there's a community uh, that wants development because the neighborhood's blighted, and this is a community that's predominantly minority, or there's a community that wants to be integrated. Uh, So how do you tell? And the Solicitor General of the United States said, well, this is the disparate impact process. It's played out in courts the agency has to come forward to justify the policy that's being questioned. And if it does have a discriminatory effect, it has to come up with another race-neutral alternative. Sounds like a lively uh, It was very lively. And civil rights groups have been very concerned uh, because several justices have uh, criticized the availability of disparate impact claims. And, Marsha, we said earlier, the, whatever is decided could have repercussions beyond housing. That's right, because uh, this type of claim it really addresses what we call second-generation discrimination. Just about everybody knows that intentional discrimination on the basis of race or another protected characteristic is illegal. But discrimination today is much more subtle and civil rights groups this is an extremely effective tool for rooting out that type of discrimination, Judy. You
7: will cry out. yes, I'm black, I'm proud of it, I'm black and
0: Judy You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power. One
2: day when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure. Oh, no. glory. Glory. Oh. glory, glory,
0: And now to Janice.
6: And so you can see following the assassination of Martin Luther King, President Johnson successfully urged an expedited passage of the Fair Housing Act, uh, which was signed before Dr. King's funeral. And this country owes an enormous debt to Dr. King and to the people who continue to work to understand and implement both the spirit and the letter of the Fair Housing Act, and our guest tonight joining us right now is James Perry. He is one of the heroes of affordable housing and um, anti-discrimination in housing in this country. James, thanks once again for being with us on Our Common Ground. I'm so glad to have you back, especially now. (laughs) Thank you
8: so much, and uh, I apologize for being a little late. I'm so excited to be on with you.
6: Well, um, one of the things that I I don't know yet, I don't know whether you're in Louisiana or North Carolina or New York or wherever you are, but uh, it's so good to have you back. And in case you missed it, I just did kind of like a montage of King's um, civil rights campaign and how we got to the to the fair housing act and i I always laugh about the part where the civil rights act was passed and 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 um then um they left out the housing part and they had to go back and redo it and do it under under a sef, uh, a separate act i i I think that's incredible that it was a clerical era um well, not well, in be, go ahead.
8: Well, I appreciate you giving that history because you know, it, it once the 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 housing section was left out, it was very difficult to get Congress to reconsider and, and to pass it.
2: And it's not until right.
8: King is assassinated that um that Walter Mondale and that uh, Senator Edward, Edward Brooks and uh and Lyndon B. Johnson were able to convince Congress to pass this law in King's honor. And so it was so frustrating just this Wednesday to be on the steps of the Supreme Court is they were considering gutting one of the most important portions of the Federal Fair Housing Act in doing so only days after we celebrated Dr. King's legacy. It was, a, I right. thought it was a real punch in the gut to Dr. King's legacy. So, again, I'm so thankful that you are willing to cover this and to help get the word out about this very important issue.
6: Well, I think that it is one, and I've said it um at the top of my introduction of the subject because I think it's very important for people to understand that this is one of the most important issues in the last 10 years that have come before this court. And the implications are so large. But one of the things I wanted to get a a sense from you, because I have my own ideas, because I've already said this is a setup and they went shopping. The first two uh, cases didn't work out because they got settled before it got to the court. So one of the things that that I'd like our audience to hear from you is about why now and why this case.
8: Yeah, those are very important questions. Well, so let me let me just back up for a second and make sure that everyone is clear that under the Fair Housing Act, there are two types of discrimination. Um, there's intentional discrimination, you know, and that's of course a circumstance where someone makes clear that they intend to deny someone housing because of their race, religion, disability, cetera. But then there are these other instances. Where it's not so clear, where they don't actually state their intention to discriminate, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you have to prove that discrimination has happened despite the fact that, um, that that the discriminator never said it in a blatant fashion. And so it is mm-hmm. the second portion, which is called disparate impact, that the court seeks to mm-hmm. uh, uh, is, is considering. So, so mm-hmm. I, I think that I think that it's pretty clear that someone on the court wants to dismantle this concept of disparate impact, because as you've noted, this is the third case that the, the that the court tried to accept to consider the issue of disparate impact. The first two were settled. This third one was a case that couldn't be settled. Um, and, and so looking at the way that they um, took, off, took apart uh, uh, important aspects of the Voting Rights Act, it's pretty clear to a lot of us that they intend that someone on the court tends to be the same when it comes to this case, so mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. We, we as advocates are pretty um, we're concerned, but 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 we of course want to be optimistic, and so there are a few reasons for us to be optimistic about this particular case. The first issue is that the other cases had really bad facts. This case uh, has not perfect facts, but but much better facts than the previous cases. And so, for instance, uh, and, and and of course, the, the the idea behind this case is that every time. The state of Texas would seek to build affordable housing. They would always build that affordable housing in poor black neighborhoods. There's never any statement where they say we want to keep all poor black people together,
6: but that's the effect of their actions. And so, mm-hmm, uh,
8: mm-hmm. A, a nonprofit. And, and, the, and Texas,
6: they call that in 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 your housing universe, they call that concentrated um, minority concentrated areas. That's right. That's right. And, mm-hmm. and, and
8: and 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 to go even more old school, the bottom line is that it results in segregation of cities, and mm-hmm. the and the whole point of the housing act is to integrate cities. At least is one of the key points. So um, so this nonprofit organization in, in in Dallas sued and said, well, this is not appropriate. Uh, instead, you should build affordable housing in all types of neighborhoods, not just uh, black neighborhoods. So,
2: mm-hmm. so
8: so here's so so those it's those a, a pretty straightforward fact and they're not as messy as the facts were in some of the other cases. Here's the second important step, is that um, the, the the Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, just this past year adopted a rule about how it would look at disparate impact. Um, uh-huh, the that's, that's a, the
6: spear. <laughs> well, so,
8: so, but the reason that it's a big deal is that there's a concept uh, in the law based on a, a case against Chevron. It's called the Chevron Deference. and 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 the idea is that if a um, government agency has set up rules around an issue, then the Supreme Court should not take that lightly and should side on the air of, of not repeating that law because, and give deference to the federal mm-hmm. agency that, that set up rules. And so because HUD has set up a, rule, a set of rules around disparate impact...
6: Um, uh-huh. And this the is court the court is affirmatively furthering rule.
8: But actually, there's also a disparate impact rule as well.
6: Mm-hmm,
8: and and mm-hmm. so, and so, and so, in the questioning Scalia, um, who we know isn't a fan of civil rights laws, asks specifically about the Chevron deference, and over and over again in cases where he would have usually decided, um, where he would have usually wanted to repeal a law, instead of repealing it, he he didn't because he respects the Chevron deference, and so. So a lot of us are really hopeful that this issue of the Chevron difference will make a big difference. We're also help, hopeful that that the facts get there, that the that the that this is a, a better set of facts will make a big difference. But you, you just never know. You never know what the court is going to do. So mm-hmm. um, at, at this point, it, it's in their hands.
6: Well, you know the 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 fear that I have, James, and I think many people in our community have, uh, and people who depend. On the protections of this law is that we look at what this court the Voting Rights Act, and we all sat back and said, "Oh, they, you know, we we didn't speculate that they may right. might ever effectively uh, gut the Voting Voting Rights Act." We, I, I, it it.
8: It was unfathomable. No, you know it was I mean, stunned. It, it, it was
6: unthinkable. It was un-
8: it had always been a bipartisan issue. I mean, it, it, no one thought that that, that was – we believed it was untouchable. I agree.
6: Mm-hmm. And that's why I have kind of removed so much of any optimism I might have about what this court will do, even in the face of the Chevron um, yeah. Uh, yeah. A test, even in the face of looking at the, the continuing hypersegregation. Of minorities in housing in this country i mean i I live in Boston, and New England is one of the most segregated um house, segregated areas in the country in regard to housing and people people uh are surprised, but it is true but yeah, let it, me it is true. Yeah. Mhm. Well Let me, let me, uh, I mean, even if you go to Cambridge, Massachusetts, there are pockets of segregation, and it's based on type of housing, and it's also based on race. Yeah, but, yeah. and which is why Skip Gates got into so much trouble with the Cambridge Police Department <laughs> because the Cambridge Police Department didn't expect any black people to live in that neighborhood. <laughs> That's right. He, he, he wasn't supposed to be there. That's right. But, but For the benefit of our audience, one of the things that I do want to point out as we move into more of this discussion about what this court might do and and the implications of it, I want people to start thinking about this disparate impact and understanding it, and also understanding the Affirmatively Furthering rule that is before the Office of Management and Budget coming out of HUD right now. Right. And that is when you talk about Affirmatively Furthering and you talk about disparate impact, which really is an analysis to measure the impact of a discriminatory act or, or our, our decision – um, you got to think uh, about how the politics of it, and the politics of it really is, and, and James, you can please um, comment on what I'm about to say. It's the same thing. The nation is responding to disparate impact, disparate effect, disparate analysis in the same way that they responded to affirmative action in employment and education. The spirit of the notion and the concept is the same. They think that black people, brown people, poor people, uh, actually, disabled people are going to get something that that they didn't earn.
8: I I, I think that that's possible, but I, I would throw out a different theory, um, which is just that um, that because because I, I think that most people uh, in America. Regardless of race, haven't even heard of disparate impact before. They don't even know what it is. Absolutely.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and, and
8: so, and so the question becomes: for something that, for most people, is an obscure concept, where is the push coming from? Where is the drive coming from for the for the Supreme Court to over and over again find an excuse to take on a case about this issue? And and so, and, and so rather than being a, a broad. Um, uh, issue that is well known and, and heavily debated in public. Instead, um, banks uh, and, and insurance companies who bought this country to its knees by the by the force of their uh, bad loans and, and illegal activities have been going through the laws that that have held them accountable, which you know actually have done a poor job of holding them accountable. But to the extent that they've been held accountable or liable for their actions. And causing the financial downfall of the country, they've been going through all the different laws that were, were responsible, and they've been taking steps to get either Congress or the court to try to dismantle those laws. And so, mm-hmm. if, you, if you if you go online and pull up any um, banking magazine and, and you pull and you read that magazine going back five or even um, six or seven years, what you'll see over and over again is uh, are bankers attacking numerous rules that that caused them to have to pay up for destroying the American economy. And so one of those rules is this disparate impact rule. Over and over again, mm-hmm. they were held accountable in cases because of the disparate impact rule. And and so so there's no doubt in my mind that the reason that this case is before the court is really the the, the banking lobby. They are 100% behind it. Now, um, it is possible that they will turn it into the kind of um, uh, poorly regarded um Concept that uh, unfortunately Affirmative action has, has become um, Despite the fact that I think all people See that clearly um, Sometimes discrimination Happens um, without Intention the, it, but, but I think many of your listeners will know That there was a time when people Who discriminated wore white um, Sheets and, and weren't Afraid to use the n-word to engage in Discrimination but now it's different And the people who discriminate wear suits and ties and They shake your hand and smile on your face, um, but still seek to keep you out of their neighborhoods, keep you from borrowing their money, and keep you from getting insurance uh, uh, to for your properties. So and, you know one I, of I the just, things. I just know one one last thing, and that's just that uh-huh. um, for, for 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 folks who are listening to this and and it, it's not quite gelling just yet. The place to look is Ferguson. And you have to wonder about a city like Ferguson where where all this disruption happens. How does it happen that this city is majority African-American, but every single aspect of it is ruled by white residents? Mm -hmm.
2: And and, Mm -hmm.
8: and the way that that happens is housing patterns and housing segregation. And all those housing patterns and housing segregations are are clearly influenced by discrimination and, and in part by disparate impact discrimination.
6: Mhm mhm, and you know to 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 even add to that and 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 one of my goals um for this for this discussion tonight is to get people to see how their lives are impacted um I happen to be on the faculty of the, of the American Bankers Association, <laughs> don't I ask mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and
6: uh, and I got a hold of their briefing on on this case. And uh, I know that other industry groups have continued, and and your point is a very good one, have continued to urge the court to limit liability to cases where intentional discrimination can be proven. But they also, in this briefing, and I, I, I guess I'm okay, I won't get thrown off, um, they contend that banks are caught in a double bind. They say if lenders comply with Dodd-Frank's ability to payroll or choose to originate only qualified mortgages, they too will be subject to disparate impact lawsuits. Now, for folks who are listening who don't understand a lot of What that means. James, let's talk about simply mortgage and home buyers in regard to the Fair Housing Act.
2: Sure.
6: And people need to understand that in 2011, in what was the largest fair housing settlement in the United States history. The Bank of America agreed to pay $335 million to settle allegations that its country – remember countrywide, folks? Countrywide financial unit had discriminated against Hispanic and black borrowers. And the allegations included steering them into subprime loans and charging them higher fees. So, James, if – in fact, the court decides that the disparate measurement, disparate impact measurement, can't be used as an enforcement tool. What would those people have done?
8: It would have been very difficult. I mean, the your point is um, is incredibly well taken. And without the disparate impact tool, the fact is that all those home buyers who got steered uh, into several loans um, that they couldn't afford and and were steered based on their race or their national origin uh, after they lost their homes and had their entire lives destroyed, um, they probably wouldn't have been able to be helped. There would have been no Mm -hmm. way to force countrywide to come back and make good on on its commitment to those families. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's just no way to – Because, you know, these folks are are smart. They're not going to to say, let's send all these loans to the black people. Instead, they're just going to use a wink and a nod. And um, it's going to be very difficult going
6: forward. And people need to really understand it was the Fair Housing Act that protected those people and made the enforcement oversight because one person sitting in Seattle who got a loan from Countrywide – wouldn't know that there were 25 people in Boston who got the same same loan and they were they were Hispanic and their rates were higher and they were paying subprime when they shouldn't have been been paying subprime they wouldn't have known that had there not been and we are always talking about it at our common ground this whole notion of government oversight from the Justice Department, from HUD, or or whoever else, needs well, to here,
8: go ahead. Here's what what's so crazy about it is that if the court removes this rule, then even if we know, even if we can prove uh, that that these institutions perfect, that they that they absolutely did target black and Latino neighborhoods all across the nation, if we can prove that those were neighborhoods that were targeted, if there's no smoking gun, if there's no memo where they, where they said it by name that they were going to target these neighborhoods, if, if it's just the data that shows it, then it doesn't matter who knows what. If, if all we have is data and, and the court rules against the housing movement in this case, then we won't be able to prove anything. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a mm-hmm. very difficult you, circumstance.
6: You know, one but, of the so things, things that is, I want is, to ask of, you is, about this, James, is go ahead because I want to move on to another area uh, that the Fair Housing Act is helpful in well, enforcement.
8: Uh, well, just just one, one, one point was going to be um, for anyone who's listening, and I know one of the best things about your program is that people uh, are listening from all over the, the country and sometimes even from other parts of the world, but, but if, if you're in the United States, whatever city you're in, I bet that you can name the black neighborhood in your city, the majority African-American neighborhood. You can probably name uh, Latino neighborhoods. Um, you can probably name Asian-American neighborhoods. And the fact that you can name neighborhoods based on wh- where people live is is demonstration that there's segregation uh, throughout most of America. And so, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. the question becomes, how did that segregation come into being? And it came into being because of purposeful um, programs, uh, mostly by government, um, through the VA, VA loan, through the FHA loan program, uh, all, and through the, uh, the creation of the interstate highway system and creation of, of, of suburbs in America, that we, we were able to create neighborhoods and, and define and segregate them by race. And so this, this was done in a very systematic fashion. And, and, and so the question becomes, how do we undo that? How do we undo segregations and, and make sure that people can live wherever they choose to live, regardless of their race and their, their national origin? Um, well, this is this is it. This is what what the thing that can accomplish that. It is the Federal Fair Housing Act, and particularly this disparate impact tool. And so, if we lose it, then then we are giving up on this fight to end segregation in America. And and mm-hmm. and if you think about the legacy of the civil rights movement of the 60s and particularly of of Dr. King's work and the folks who were working at the same time as Dr. King um at every single point segregation defeating segregation was key to what they envisioned and and so we can't give up now
2: mhm
6: mhm you you you're absolutely right i do want to talk about the protections for for renters and some of the kinds of uh, systemic discrimination that goes on for for especially black folks and Hispanics um, uh, when they are renters. But one of the other questions that I have for you is this notion of, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about this uh, for a very long time, for maybe over a year, is how the Fair Housing Act protects communities from, um, a broad, um, broad uh, uh, changes. For instance, I know that under both oversight and enforcement of the Fair Housing Act that goes on around the country, that one of the issues, especially in poor and and minority community uh, neighborhoods, has been the whole notion of where. Uh, certain types of housing uh is located uh for instance, in the city of Boston, and I've been talking with these people I spent a my my interest in housing came from um I was a a staffer under Tom Atkins when he was oh, wow. a Boston city councillor, hmm. and um I spent a lot of years in meetings about issues having to do for instance I was in the original and ongoing meetings as a college student uh, wow. when the Boston Housing Authority a lawsuit was being put together Wow! when the decision was made to bring a lawsuit so I've I've been thinking about this stuff and one of the concerns that many black people especially have has to do with where um, uh, disabled housing. Uh, I know that I, I went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it was in a predominantly black neighborhood where the the, the residents were complaining about carrying the burden of loads of nursing homes, rehab centers for for a, addiction um, rehab and for disabled housing. And yeah, I was I was sitting in that meeting and thinking to myself, wow, is this a is this a colliding of values going on here? But I understood what these neighbors were saying that when you bring in that kind of that much institutional housing into a neighborhood, uh values um property values go down.
8: Yeah. Well. Well. Look. So um, it's so interesting to to hear you say that because um, in many ways those are the facts of the case that's that's before the Supreme Court right now. Mm
2: -hmm. It Mm -hmm. is this,
8: um, and instead of it being other uh, uh, other types of of institutional investments, it's it's about how they do the institutional investments in housing, and 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 in the whole state of, of Texas. At every single point, whenever they're going to build any affordable or low-income housing, they only build it in poor black and Latino mm-hmm. neighborhoods.
2: And, mm-hmm. and so, mm-hmm.
8: so it, it. And so, here's the deal: it is the obligation of all taxpayers and all residents and citizens of the United States to provide for and, and care for those among us who who need it, who need some help. Right? Uh, some people mm-hmm. in our community. Need a, a, a hand up in order to to make it, and and so that's not giving that hand up is all of our responsibilities, and so part of that is that um, that whatever kind of help it is, you know, so if it's a a treatment center, if it is a a a, um, a location for people with disabilities, uh, if it is um, a affordable a housing a, a, a apartment complex. Uh, the bottom line is that uh, all neighborhoods should have those types of locations to help the people in those neighborhoods. And so you don't just cite those locations in in black neighborhoods or in Latino neighborhoods. You you cite them in all neighborhoods. And that's the fundamental premise here of the case is that, um, is that that, first of all, we don't consider um, uh, people who have difficulties as burdens. And and second of all, um, it is, um to the extent that they need help, it is of our obligation to help them, not just the obligation of of poor black you right. neighborhoods right so so uh, it, it, and you, it, you know and i think that, that there is this interesting question that 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 sometimes is begged vague about you know um about black folks saying that they don't want other poor um people in their community and and it's not that right? um i think that that usually um african american communities or uh, greeting folks with open hands But at a, at a certain point they say Hey, you know, we need everyone to chip in here This is this is We, we need uh, everyone to help us To take
6: on all the different issues That exist within our communities Mm-hmm, mm-hmm You know, and, and We're at the top of the hour And I want to take a break Because I've got an, an, another Cadre of topics I'd like to Hear your your thoughts about in this whole housing thing. One of them is gentrification, uh, but we need to talk about the the implications. What will we do? What, how will children be protected from housing discrimination? I mean, I think one one of the reasons I played uh, a couple of clips about of Martin Luther King when he was alive being very hard uh, nosed about. If we don't do something about these things, this nation is going to be in trouble. And I think in many ways we're already in trouble, and here we come again with something else. We've got Citizens United. We've got the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. We've got police militarization and black children being gunned down in the street. Uh, We've got all of these things, and on top of that, what protections and gains that we have we have been able to use in terms of enforcing a law which protects us um that may be in jeopardy too James stay with us you stay with us out there it's the top of the hour it's uh 10:59 in Boston I don't know what time it is where you are but we're going to come right back and don't you go away refresh your drinks and um we're going to talk more Texas uh Department of Housing and uh Housing and Development and uh the Inclusive Communities case that went before the Supreme Court this week this is our common ground we'll be right back This is Janice Graham, and I want to thank you for being with us here. Right.
2: that's what you want to do. Hey, uh, bring me down, You're listening to Truth Works, Network, The Alpha Show.
6: When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty.
2: This is Alpha, hosting the best of pushback talk radio. The
6: Alpha Show, only at TruthWorks Network, Fridays, 10 p.m.
2: Look
7: around you. One in four kids in the U.S. faces hunger. It's not always easy to see the signs, but in this land of plenty, there are kids that don't know where they will get their next meal. Join Share Our Strength in Food Network and take the pledge to end childhood hunger here in America by 2015. Learn how at nokidhungry.org. Their next meal could come from you.
6: invite you to be a regular here at Our Common Ground, Saturday night, 10 p.m.
0: Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
2: And at TruthWorks Network, TruthWorks Network, with the Alpha show, Friday night at 10 p.m., this is Alternative Progressive Urban Talk Radio. Our Common Ground Media and Communications, where race and talk
6: matter. Join us on all of our social network platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and our web blogs. TruthWorks Network, where the truth must be spoken more than once. Our common ground, speaking truth to power
2: and ourselves.
6: I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult real raw right now. If it's real raw right now, talk media. Come on, baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Join my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your Real Raw and Right Now Talk Radio. I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Dealing with the difficult Real Raw Right Now, the I Declare Show, baby, baby. You're tuned in to our common ground. Thank you for being with us this evening as we look at homeland terrorism on
0: you listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice.
6: I think one of the... Um sound engineers, uh, board engineers up in here going to get fired tonight, but thank you so much for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. Our guest is James Perry. He is one of the preeminent voices and leaders uh, regarding the issues of affordable housing and fair housing in this country. He's a former executive director of the New Orleans Louisiana, it is a uh, fair housing center, James, they must miss you awfully i i when I heard that, I went, "Oh my goodness, what are they gonna do
8: well um i I hope that they miss me. I certainly miss them. I miss them so much that I'm in New Orleans right this moment um uh-huh. and um the, the and so the truth is that I haven't left just yet uh, and We haven't found my successor yet, and so I'm sticking around and uh, and fighting this fight until we find uh, my successor who will will step in and take over the New Orleans Fair Housing Center. um, But until then, um, you know, I'm I'm going to continue to to, to hold down uh, the fort and make sure that we continue this fight here in New
6: Orleans. Well, I was hoping, a couple of weeks ago, I... um, finish reading Other People's Houses by Jennifer Tobb and I really uh recommend that book. She is a professor at the Vermont Law School and um I read a galley of the book and I and and as I was reading uh portions of it I, I thought maybe that's what James is gonna do. He's gonna write the book about uh, of fair housing and and the challenges i mean even without the supreme court looking at uh this issue uh of of the fair housing act and disparate uh impact even without that we still have so many problems regarding enforcement of this act and getting the public to understand the protections that they should enjoy under the act, we just have, simply have too many people who are not uh seeing success in trying to fight housing discrimination in this country um I mean I live uh in an uh, in a i'm I'm in a new area um and uh, it's pretty well developed, and there are cuts for uh, disabled um, persons who are mobility disabled. There are amenities and all of the provisions that have to happen under Section 504, which is a, the the regulation that um, protects disabled persons, in addition to the ADA, but. In, in we still have communities and neighborhoods that don't have something as simple as as sidewalk cuts, and the police don't enforce people illegally parking. Don't try to be my friend out there. You cannot be my friend if you park in front of a sidewalk cut. So don't even try it. <laughs> <laughs> so so we have those things, but. Uh, in getting back, and we want to thank all of you, all of you who have joined us tonight. And if you like to join us in our live chat room, you can do so by coming to BlogTalkRadio.com backslash OCG. Um, James, one of the things that uh, a sidebar uh, about housing discrimination and the Fair Housing Act is this whole notion and all of you will recognize this word of gentrification, where uh, developers are going in, and it's and especially true down the East Coast, where most of the black communities have always traditionally been located, even if they were segregated, near the downtown. Are there provisions under the Fair Housing Act that would address What's going on in regard to gentrification in in, in major cities?
8: Um, I, I, I I think it's arguable, but but I would argue yes. Um, but they are certainly very difficult to uh, to pursue. Uh, and so, um, just like with any circumstance, uh, if a community is is targeted. Um, because of its race um, or national origin, for instance, um, if it's targeted to, to push people out for that purpose, um, mm-hmm. then that whole process is, is covered and governed under the Federal Fair Housing Act. So, so, so I, you know, I, I don't think there's any question about whether or not the Fair Housing Act covers um, or is intended to prevent um, unfair and illegal gentrification. But but the issue is this process of of trying to enforce um, um, the the law on those issues. It's extremely difficult to do. It's uh, it's very hard to prove because, um, you know, in most circumstances, gentrification um, happens kind of house by house and block by block. Mm -hmm. It's usually not one big developer who comes in and buys up everything or, or a city coming in and just buying up everything. Um, so you can purposely say that they targeted the black neighborhood. But instead it it is, um, you know, one family here, one family there. Um, you know, one small developer buys and renovates a property in a black neighborhood and another small developer does the same thing. And before you know it, all the small mom-and-pop developers are, are doing the same thing in these neighborhoods. And um, and so, so so your first issue is just that it's very difficult to prove that there's a systematic effort to keep uh, to push um, families of color out of a neighborhood. And, and then the second issue is this challenge of proving damages. How has a family or a community been harmed? Um, if if a family owns a home, and and let's say that that home is worth is since it's in a poor neighborhood only worth you uh, know fifty or a hundred thousand dollars. And then they're able to sell that house for 150, 125 thousand um, um, dollars, but they they make a profit on, on you know above the value of the property, um, even though the developer then takes that property and flips it for 200 or 300 thousand uh, dollars. There was a clear benefit to the uh, family of color, and and so in court it, it becomes really hard to prove that they've been harmed or damaged because they actually. Profited from, and so, um, so, so. Unfortunately, um, the answer is: Does the act is the act intended to prevent uh, illegal gentrification? Sure, but does it do so? Usually, unfortunately, it does not. And but so they mm-hmm. think that that there are some successes. Those successes usually happen when a, a city or a large developer comes in and, and, and does a sweeping uh, attempt at redevelopment. And the way that those cases work. Is through disparate impact right? And so Mm -hmm. we we get back to the Fundamental issue that if the court Guts the Fair Housing Act and takes This disparate impact rule away from us Then um, it's going to be Even harder to fight gentrification Of historic African
6: American Neighborhood Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah Um, But I, I, I think that there are People in our Community that are concerned about it I mean I heard it in a meeting in a big community meeting here in boston um and so um Mm. i I think it's something well worth thinking about that um people need to understand the importance of this in because i see disparate uh impact as an enforcement tool right uh i know that many projects that are whether it be the public housing authority or whether it be private developers are really governed by certain kinds of things that they must do that they must certify that they are going to do and that some of the re, some of the enforcement reviews that go on in um under the government's aegis like um HUD uh that they require certain things and one of those things is compliance to the fair housing act and when if we lose this disparate impact um tool um to be able to measure discriminatory impact what will people what will what will the um advocates what will the uh, ho- fair housing attorneys. What will happen?
8: Uh, you know, l- l- let me let me just tell you, um, and you. I think you already know this because we've spoken so many times about it, and in part because you're so well versed on all the issues that are important to uh, to-, to to communities. But uh, one of the most important cases, at least important to me, but I hope important to the community that I that I was serving. Um, important cases I worked on is a case involving um, the federal government in the state of Louisiana it was after Hurricane Katrina that black neighborhoods were not being rebuilt and despite the fact that there were billions and billions with a B of dollars being invested all throughout Louisiana this money just wasn't making it into black neighborhoods and so we looked at the program that was designed to help get neighborhoods built and we realized that there was a flaw in the way the program was designed and because of that flaw, it was going to pay much less money to people who lived in black neighborhoods than it was going to pay to people who lived in white neighborhoods. As a matter of fact, we found that if you lived in a white neighborhood, then you probably got as much as $150,000 to rebuild your home. But if you lived in a black neighborhood, you got less than $90,000 to rebuild your home. That's the the main reason. So many people now know about the Lower Ninth Ward, Well, even to this day, the Lower Ninth Ward still isn't fully rebuilt. And one of the main reasons is because of this flaw. Well, no one said— um, we're not going to rebuild the law the ninth war Because it's full of black people Or at least no one who was in charge of these federal programs Said that Instead there was this this mistake in the programs I know the people who designed the programs I don't think that they wanted to, to, to keep black people out of these neighborhoods But they screwed up when they designed the program The only way that we were able to force them to do the right thing Was through a disparate impact lawsuit And so we settled that case for half of a billion dollars To get people back into their homes It wasn't enough money Frankly, we needed another 2 or $3 billion to, to really get the job done, but it was a step in the right direction. And so there, there is some activity in the whole Ninth Ward now where people are starting to rebuild and get back into their homes. But that only happens because of this disparate impact lawsuit. So if you think about the idea that Katrina brings the state of Louisiana and the city of New Orleans to its knees and that the government makes this huge investment to rebuild these communities, but, uh, but just leaves out the black neighborhoods, leaves out all the black neighborhoods in the state. And that the only way that we're able to finally get to a situation where, where where some black neighborhoods are able to get enough money to rebuild is through a disparate impact lawsuit, and that that that, that is terrible. That that we have to get to that point of even filing the lawsuit. But what we're saying here is that the one thing that could get black people back into their homes after Hurricane Katrina, that one thing the court is considering getting rid of that, taking Mm -hmm. it away from Mm -hmm. us so we can never use it again. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if if you were watching when Hurricane Katrina landed in Louisiana and you saw that devastation and you wondered how can it happen, um, how can we rebuild those communities and how can we rebuild them in a way that makes sure that everybody, regardless of color, gets back into their homes, well, the only way we did that was through this tool, this disparate impact tool. And 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 so, so to your question of what happens if, if we use that tool, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, to be frank, if we didn't have that tool, we wouldn't have been able to get these families back into their homes. Literally, tens of thousands mm-hmm. of families would not be back in their homes here in mm-hmm. New York.
6: Mm-hmm. I know. And one of the things that, in 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 addition to that, and your work, um, in regard. To that case in New Orleans was just absolutely monumental uh, for for folks who are who who do not know that the whole displacement thing would have been an absolute part of uh, American disaster history, and people would not have been able to return to New Orleans without it because there was nowhere to go um James and I I do want and that's one of the reasons I call you a superhero of of affordable housing and housing discrimination uh fair housing um in this country but one of the things I I I do want to uh touch on in this discussion is the whole idea that many people are not aware, for instance, you served um, uh, for for such a long time at the New Orleans Fair Housing uh, Center as the executive director. Now, that is a program which is partially funded by uh, people's, your tax dollars, folks.
8: That's right.
6: And... If you are not doing the essential work of measuring, uh, disc- and you can't measure discrimination, can you take? I mean, what's going to happen to all of the complainants that come to you and say, "I am a victim of housing discrimination"? Is that part of it well, going to go away too?
8: Well, so, so here, no, it, it won't go away. But but here's here's the way to to, to think about another way to think about this problem. So there, there are um, there are two types of, of complaints that we get. We get individual complaints where someone comes to us and says, you know, I think I was discriminated against by my landlord or, or by a landlord I was trying I was trying to rent from. Can you investigate? Um, and, and those kinds of cases will be fine after, after this ruling. No matter what happens, um, we will be able to investigate, and do testing, and if we can prove that a landlord discriminated, then we will be able to to, to bring. A lawsuit and to stop that that one landlord um but so the problem is that that's just one landlord and so um but what we all know is that um racism is not just individual. in fact the most egregious racism um is systemic and not just the most egregious racism but the most egregious discrimination against Latinos against Asian Americans, against people with disabilities, against families with children, against uh, gay and, and, and lesbian communities—the largest and, and most effective types of discrimination are systemic. And so, the, the problem when it comes to the, the, the disparate impact rule is that, that disparate impact is the way that we take on systemic cases. You know, so so when it came to to folks coming to us about the, the road home program in Louisiana, um, instead of us filing one lawsuit on behalf of each individual person who came to us for stating their problem, we were able to file one big, huge lawsuit to fix the entire program. And um and, and, and despite the fact that no one ever said that they no one called anyone an N word, no one um used any kind of racially derogatory term, but just by looking at the data and being able to prove that there that there was a systemic discriminatory effect um, we were able to make change in that case, and so in mm-hmm. those kinds of cases, we, we won't be able to fix um, the discrimination going forward. And, and so, so if you, if you think about, uh, for instance, the uh, the city of Boston, if uh, if the city of Boston all of a sudden decides that um, that in certain neighborhoods, and it just happened to be neighborhoods of color, that um, that on top of if you're a renter, on top of of paying your rent, you have to pay an extra tax every year of $2,000. That is the um, live on that side of town tax. Um, you know, most housing folks will look at that and say, oh, that's discriminatory. You can't just tax the people who live in that neighborhood, who live in poor black neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But because they never came out and said that they were doing it because these were poor black neighborhoods, we wouldn't be able to stop them from doing it. And, and the end result right. would be that they would drive um people of color out of those neighborhoods and then they'd be able to gentrify the neighborhoods and make them available to, to other families and other communities. Mm-hmm, it, it's mm-hmm. a, that's the kind of thing that will happen in the future that we won't be able to stop unless we're able to get the Supreme court to leave this um, disparate impact rule alone. So, it, so mm-hmm. I think that, so, so, so what your question begs is what's the next step? If, if the Supreme court comes back, they destroy um, this concept that, how can we fix this? And and so there will only be two ways to fix it. The first would be to get Congress to pass an amendment to the Fair Housing Act that explicitly states uh, their preference for there to be a disparate impact concept. Or the second is to get the Supreme Court to reconsider in the future and to come back and change um, and to overrule their previous rule. Both Mm -hmm. of those, as you know, are extremely hard to do. And, And so, you know, earlier in the conversation, you were pretty clear about how pessimistic you were based on the court's actions around voting rights um i i i got to tell you um you know the um, the reasonable person in me um it says you should also be pessimistic but um but because the other roads are so difficult, I have no choice but to be hopeful that the court will examine this issue and do the right thing and decide to leave the fair housing act alone.
6: well, I certainly want to I, I certainly want to be hopeful because it sounds like that's the only thing that we could do. Because as the Supreme Court ultimately answers the question of this notion of disparate impact, um, it will essentially the bottom line, as you've as, as you pointed out, will make it just more uh, make it really hard for people to put a roof. Over their heads, yeah, uh, and absolutely. it will lead to the it to the kind of statistics we saw in the foreclosure crisis in this country as well, because I'm starting to see ads on t v where the people are coming back with the no down payment mortgages, and I'm going, "What the heck, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, That's
6: you know. Right. But but the uh, but the other part of it too is we still have so many other uh, systemic kinds of um, uh, of uh, what seems to mean to be housing discrimination. For instance, in the city of Boston, there are some neighborhoods where the large real estate companies have decided that they would represent neighborhood by neighborhood. So one real estate company takes five streets of any open Uh. sales or rentals, and another real estate company takes the other five streets. And all of them uh, include not advertising the housing opportunities in the newspaper, and right. if you go to the real estate company, you have to pay a fee and in my mind, James, all of that yeah. to me is trying to keep white neighborhoods in Boston white yeah, and yeah. I'll tell you a funny story
8: I, um i I, I found that so so I would use the in fact to file that case on a heartbeat I wouldn't even exactly think it. Just exactly
6: what you <laughs> exactly. Um, And and then we see loads and loads of neighborhoods of uh, landlords who are discriminating against people based on the number of children they have based on the color of those children. Uh, So so I, I, I just think that you out there need to really understand what's at stake here. And I hope that. Uh, you know, one of the things that we didn't do that we should have done before the court, because the court is very political. Before the court um, heard the the Voting Rights Act cases, we should have been calling the White House, calling Congress. The, the 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 complication here, too, James, is what our Congress is right now. Right. Even if they got the disparate impact tool. Um it it's very unlikely that this congress will respond to um an uproar to act and and that scares me as well
8: did, But did you, did you see did you see that for the uh, Senate uh Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution uh civil and human rights that the new Republican chairperson for that uh, a subcommittee changed the name by so the name
6: changed the name what's you know what's what's in the name i I certainly did and um and in my head, I ranted and raved and and I made some comments to people about it, but that strikes the tone. Of the Congress that that we're dealing that with, that
8: we have, yeah. It, it, I mean, at the point that they drop civil and human rights from the main of of the subcommittee designed to take care of, of those issues, it makes clear that, we, that that we're not even welcome to bring those issues
2: before Absolutely. Uh, that,
8: that that subcommittee. And so, so your point about about who and what this Congress and Senate is 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 very well taken.
6: Well, one of the things is that you have really helped us to. Uh, flush out how important uh, all of this is. And Wednesday, I tell you, I was like a little chicken, and I couldn't wait for the transcript to come up. And I, asked, and, and, and I, I even said to myself, "What kind of crazy person walks around <laughs> sitting on the train reading a transcript of the Supreme Court arguments?" <laughs> but well, well, um, some,
8: someone who cares. Someone who, yeah, who, who and and really and cares. and
6: then I was very confused about the behavior and the discussion with Scalia. Scalia being on both sides of the issue, and I went, okay, uh, uh, but, well, he well, doesn't that, really that, care what he says.
8: Well, that 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 is the core of that Chev- Chevron deference issue. I do I do think that that he is legitimately torn. On, on one hand, um, he he wants nothing more than to. Be able to get rid of disparate impact, but on the other hand, if if he uh, ignores HUD's rule, then mm-hmm. he also he not only gets rid of disparate impact, but he destroys the Chevron deference legacy. And, mm-hmm. and so I think he's he's legitimately torn. Um, you know, is is destroying disparate impact important enough to him to uh, completely disband the Chevron deference it, and a difficult yeah. issue. And so, so it's, yeah. it's, like I said, it's the one reason that we have a little bit of hope.
6: Yeah, that's right. Well, folks out there, I think you need to get on it, do a Google, go to my Facebook page. I have just about every article that has been written prior to. And if you really get confused about it, there uh, you can go to um, the uh, Supreme Court SCOTUS blog and there are a number of analyses um uh, uh, about the issue uh that were prepared that was re- prepared prior to the arguments being made on Wednesday James thank you so much but now i have to talk to you about personal stuff cuz i know you got to go cuz uh, <laughs> we we have a date in the morning um the since the last time you were with us you have added to your family and you have a wonderful little girl uh baby who who just started walking That's and right. y- you got a practicing teenager in Parker <laughs> i was That's practicing right. That's to be right. a teenager so how are things on the personal front
2: Well
8: well things are wonderful and um you know I I I thank you for uh, covering for me in that um I I was out with family uh, with a dead cell phone which is why I couldn't call into the show on time and so I apologize both to you and to listeners for um for that. And and so and, and the reason I was out with family is that it is Parker's birthday and um so I, she came with me so she's 14 to visit today? With her friend. She she turns thirteen in a few days and so okay. for, for, mm-hmm. for her birthday she wanted to come to New Orleans. And so I'm here with both girls, with Parker and uh, with Anna, and so Anna is actually laying right next to me uh, uh, uh drinking a bottle uh, and <laughs> listening to every every word about the Supreme Court and fair housing, hopefully taking it all in but so everyone well, is wonderful and uh unfortunately, we miss Melissa and that she's in New York preparing for for her show
6: tomorrow morning and and what a wonderful show she she did have this morning. Well, I am looking forward to um Actually, I did offer my babysitting services, but <laughs> if Anna is walking, it may be uh, too much, huh? <laughs> I know my, my, my daughter, uh, this, uh, my youngest grandson who just turned three in December, when he started walking, I bought a harness and my daughter was horrified. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh,
6: yeah. I, I mean, you know, so we uh I understand about what happens when they start walking, but she is absolutely beautiful and Parker is blooming. I mean, I remember when Melissa was in Princeton and Parker was so little, now she is just a a girl that rocks.
2: Yeah,
8: well, uh, well, Melissa, Melissa sends her regards. You know, she and I both met you separately, and and and, and both have just really enjoyed being able to to share uh, our commitment to civil rights uh, with your listeners, and, and we appreciate you looking out for us for so so much time. I mean, it's really just been an honor and a pleasure.
6: Well, thank you so very much, and I look forward to having you back with us once we hear back from the Supreme Court. Uh, also, Absolutely. I may give you a call about what's going to happen with this affirmatively furthering uh, rule. Um, I'm,
8: happy, I'm happy to discuss it. I, I think that we're going to get some good outcomes there. Um, I think yeah, the, the I do, too. The budget is going to move forward with that um, pretty soon.
6: Okay, thank you, James, so much, and give my love to Melissa, Parker, and Anna, and your mother. I will. Uh,
8: thank you so very much. <laughs> okay.
6: We're going to um take a break and when we come back we're going to take your calls. This is our common ground at uh on a sun on a Saturday night coming back into Sunday. We'll be right back. <laughs> You're listening to Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Broadcasting bold,
2: brave, and black. No trouble, I'm all about that bass, that bass. No trouble, I'm all about that bass, that bass.
7: We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, religion destroys morals, our banks destroy the economy. The inability to defend on all of these fronts, be it voter suppression, and you can go down the line, you can go down the line, the Wizard of Oz... 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains,
3: no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in awe. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio.
6: It's the Alpha Show, only on TruthWorks Network.
2: Your Fridays just got served.
6: Every Friday, he's all about politics. 10 p.m. Truth Works Network, and we hope you, that you will uh support the Truthworks Network by tuning in to Alpha on the Alpha show at ten p m every Friday night. He serves hot grits with his politics. It's just damn talk radio. Every time I step outside I see my
4: niggas die oh, I'm letting you know That it ain't no gun they make That can kill my soul This
6: is our common ground Thank you so much for being with us tonight All
4: we want to do is take the chains off
2: All we want to do is take the chains off All we want to do is be free All we want to do is be free
6: and this is Our Common Ground. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. if you want to chime in. We're going to go to 312. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you very much for your call. Hey, Janice. 312? Janice? Excuse me. Yes.
4: Hey, Janice. This is hey. House. How are you
6: tonight? Hey, House. Good to hear from you. Happy New Year.
4: Thank you, ma'am. Good 2015 to you, too. Um, yeah, Mr. Perry was a really good guest. Um, I was in and out a little bit, but um
6: uh-huh. am Well, I'm sorry. I didn't want to hold him too long because he had the baby, and the baby was still oh. awake. <laughs> <laughs>
4: nah, that's understandable. I just had a simple question. Um, yeah? After this um, affordable housing and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and everything, the Voting Rights Act that they went after. Uh, what's next? Well, what ain't they much left. Right.
6: Uh, well, well, the Detroit. thing is, the thing is that there are one of the concerns, and this is why it's so important that Loretta Lynch uh, be confirmed by the Senate uh, to get into the Justice Department because we're still dealing with the issue of overreach by police departments across this country. Uh, And I think that there may be some efforts by this Congress to try to dilute the way in which federal intervention happens with law enforcement organizations.
2: That's it. They
6: don't
4: really believe that there's going to be much uh, resistance to her getting um, uh, put on, so um, that's what I heard. I don't know if you heard anything different.
6: Well, I think they're saying that, uh, but um, you know, nobody has control over the crazies and the madness going on in this Congress. Usually mm-hmm. there's somebody, you know, you've got Mitch McConnell who is a diehard, and I'm really meant to ask James about that silly man Talking about madness, Bobby Jindal. Hell, oh, I would move oh. out of the state of Louisiana trying to deal with that with that fool. But yeah, um, I, I think that there there is a strategy that is going on, and that is that the Republican Party, the GOP, they're trying to hold down a little bit semblance or the the the. Um, hoping that the public will not see them as mad as they are but
2: you've got that
6: tea party you've got that tea party segment of the party that they're out of control and they don't care you've got people like Ted Cruz you've got you, you, i mean even if you saw the behavior once again at the state of the union address on last Tuesday night you got some crazy people running, making law and appropriating your tax dollars in this country. They are simply mad, and you are right, House, in the sense that we're not fighting back. There's no resistance. There's nobody standing up and calling Mitch McConnell a straight-out cracker.
2: No,
6: no, unfortunately, not. Um,
4: I really didn't hear too many people. In office, uh, uh, with any response to the lady that gave the Republican, um, you mean
6: that, you mean the, um, the 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 hog and welfare queen, right, right. This woman I, I is sitting up anything. there talking about she wore paper bags around. Well, you know, I wouldn't tell nobody I had to wear paper bags, bags uh, uh, plastic bags around my shoes uh, as part of my life story even if I had to do that. But you're talking about a multi-billion dollar company that her 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 father owns and he gets multi millions of federal dollars um and 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 don't even talk about the tax credits.
4: Mhm. So yeah, well, how many of them Who who did you she out? think
6: who did, who exactly did she think with a with with two brain cells, bought all of that. On top well, of after that? she after she told that story, then and she lost me because I had no idea what she was talking about.
4: Well, I, I could answer that question except you qualified it. Um, if you just left it to the, to the one brain cell people, I could answer that question. the front of two brains, uh, so <laughs> answer a little harder. Yeah. Um, as far as the, pl- the plastic bags. You know, being Midwest, being Midwest and raised, born and raised, um, you know, I, I kind of know what she talks about, but the part that I didn't agree with um, that I heard uh-huh. about was that she wants to force everybody else to have to go through it the way she did and come up. Um, yeah. And she described it improperly. Um, people that were that had means uh, yeah. simply did that yeah. where well, they put it in their galaches just to keep their regular shoes okay in case of galoches, Yeah. I mean, right. it wasn't a poverty thing it was a
6: yeah. Thing. yeah 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 um, hey house so it it's was, good it was, to hear from you i got some other callers and we have only a short time uh for those of you who are listening and i hope house that you join us next week we're going to be talking about a very um sensitive subject and that is the subject of black families and estranged black families I think sometimes we we really need to um get a hold of ourselves to to look inward and we're going to be doing that next week. But I'm so glad to hear from you and um your your questions are good ones, you know, the the and I think your insight is 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 well is 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 well formed. Uh you know, I'm unlike James, I don't have very much hope for this. Right. Neither do I. I, I really yep. don't. And what yep. scares
4: me most is what's coming down the pipe that we haven't seen yet. But um mm-hmm. thanks for taking the call and you know, I'm with you. Um
2: thanks well, for
6: doing another thank you. and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you for being with us. And we're gonna go to six four six. Six four six, you're on the air at our common ground. Thank you for your call. Um, happy belated birthday, BJ. Well, thank you so very much. Um had this a very quiet birthday. <laughs> ah, well, I was the, overwhelmed. You the
3: grandbabies, that's the main thing.
6: Well, you know, um, um, Grand Prize is back at school, but she did call me at the strike of midnight for my birthday. And uh, for those of you who do not know, I did have a birthday yesterday, and I am officially certified as a senior citizen. So nah, watch don't, out don't for the senior discount. My grandchildren my grandchildren were saying, uh, Nani, do you have a card? We could use your card at the movie. Do you have a senior citizen's card? <laughs> well,
3: so what's on your mind on tonight? To well, you know, the the question I I don't know if you you had got an opportunity to ask James um is what's going on with um programs like Section Eight and some of the other programs that was assisting um low income people with um housing and things of that nature because it seems like um a lot of those programs are being tossed aside. And you know, being here in New York, the rent is absolutely crazy. And
6: y'all and you all got a poor door in some of your in some of your uh federally oh, no question. funded housing. But yeah. As far as I know, and i'm sorry i I didn't get you in before he um before we we said goodbye to james uh, part of the problem is um funding, and all of you who are interested and have an in a vested interest in affordable housing really ought to be looking at the HUD budget to be decided about the HUD budget. Um, I think that this Congress, and and over the last, uh, I would say, five years, uh, Congress has decided that they're not going to increase proportionately to the number of people who enter into the category where they're eligible for um, subsidized housing. The other issue, and I'm glad you brought it up, is this portability voucher. Um, It is a way in which a person, instead of living in a building and a Section 8 certificate is assigned to that building, uh, a housing authority is able to give you a voucher and you go find your own housing. And you use the voucher for housing that has been approved for the Section 8 program. Those are called uh, choice vouchers. And those have not been uh, proportionately funded. So there you have it. You have to ask. I I think uh, people need to stand up and ask, uh, you know, whether or not this is part of the war on poor people. Well, I, I would
3: I would say this. It, it seems to me, honestly, that the way this whole Congress and Senate is going right now, um, there's going to be a lot of vetoes on the president's table. And um, basically, things are not going to get any better. If anything, it's going to get worse because of all of these wars that yeah. we are involved in. But let's just hope for the best. But listen, enjoy the rest of your um birthday weekend and hopefully tomorrow the um family will take you out or make you a special dinner.
6: Well, my family has given me a trip to Cuba for my birthday. No. For yes. how, long,
3: how long are you going for?
6: I can go they just gave me the tickets. They and um um so I probably, you know, my father is was uh, 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 Afro-Cuban okay. and so um, I have been to Cuba but I haven't been to Cuba since the 1960s when I was Whoa. a child we went quite often before the embargo and the uh, chastisement of that nation but um, I probably will go sometime in the fall
3: well all I can say is May you have a beautiful time back home. I know how it felt when I had the opportunity to go back home to the motherland. It's it's, it's no better feeling than to step on the grounds of where exactly. your ancestors come from. So exactly. take care. Good talking to you as always.
6: Bye-bye, love. Okay, good good to have you with us. Uh, before we go to um 312 I do want to uh, thank all of you who sent me well wishes and great birthday blessing wishes uh, for my birthday on yesterday. Um, It is a thoughtful time for me. Uh, And to talk about going to the homeland, um, I have completed my... Last will and testament And made the addendums And all that stuff So I'm ready But I'm not going anywhere anytime soon 312 you're on the air Thank you for your call 312 You got your hand up Um, And I saw that We had a 773 But that person dropped I uh, want to thank All of you for uh, being with us here at Our Common Ground, and want to enlist you as uh, part of our marketing team uh, to do as much as you can to help us build our audience. And you can do that by sharing our posts on Facebook, um you can also do that by subscribing to our Facebook page. So um you know, let's let's get this independent media together because you won't get an hour and 45 minutes with James Perry on any other program. You just won't get it. Um, it you 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 will get uh 5 minutes of discussion uh on some of the news channels uh and networks but you won't get five you won't get a thorough briefing from experts uh in the area of uh whatever topics that we are talking about and we really appreciate that we have such a huge cadre of learned, informed, experienced people uh, that are part of what we call our common ground. So, um, um, you know, help us out here. Um, And on... um, Monday, we will be celebrating the birthday of Angela Yvonne Davis, the African-American political activist, scholar, and author. Um, She was born in Birmingham, Alabama on January 26, 1944, and lived in the Dynamite Hill neighborhood She's a graduate of Brandeis University, um, and she went to Brandeis on scholarship here in Waltham, Massachusetts, where she was one of three students in her freshman class. That sounds familiar. Um, And she was a French major, which is really, really interesting as well. And um, on August seventh, 1970, Jonathan Jackson, a heavily armed 17-year-old African-American high school student, gained control over a courtroom in Marin County, California. And once in that courtroom, Jackson armed the black defendants and took Judge Harold Haley, the prosecutor, and three female jurors as hostage. And one of the people, um, the firearms used in the attack, including the shotgun, had been purchased by Angela Davis two days prior, and the barrel of the shotgun had been sawed off. Davis was also corresponding with one of the inmates involved. Soon after, an arrest warrant was issued for Angela Davis on August 18, 1970, by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. Angela Davis was the third woman and the 309th person to appear on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitive list. She became a fugitive and fled to California. And according to her autobiography during this time, she hid in friends' home and moved from place to place at night. On October 13, 1970, FBI agents found her at the Howard Johnson Motor Lodge in New York City. Um, And she will celebrate her birthday on Wednesday. I think that one of the things that we have to do, and we have to do it quickly is to begin to understand some of the concepts behind some of our history, and um, you know, for instance, you see a, you, you see you see some kind of news item, and and you got a little idea about how that happened. But you don't really know, um, and that is the time that you do. You use the Google. Just use the Google. The other thing I want to tell you that in 2012, Johnson Publishing Company began offering select photos for sale from its collection, and pursued a license to other media on a limited basis. Um, Getty's Images, a 20-year-old company that licensed its library of 170 million assets, has struck a deal uh, with Johnson Publishing for $3.3 million. So here we are, our history being sold off once again you ought to be concerned you ought to be concerned about so many things that i understand that it's hard to keep up thank you for being with us see us next week as we talked about as we talk about estranged adult children from their parents We'll be right back here, and don't forget, I will be listening for you.
3: This morning thinking about the old me. When I was feeling like little like it's old me. But now I ride on subconscious. I'm getting bread while I look to my accomplishments. Only one like I have a problem with this myself. That's probably why my only competition is myself. From today to tomorrow morning, I can just watch to the same drum. The past oh, I ain't forgot where I came from.
2: Uh, I got the club. Right- Who are you?
6: When you don't know When you should have done, but you didn't. When you should have, but you don't. When you can't find, won't ask, can't say what you want. Who are you? When you recognize that you have accepted, tolerated, and accommodated stuff from them or him or her that has diminished yourself. Just who are you? Thank you so much for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Each Saturday, 10 p.m., I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. A special thanks to our chatters in our chat room. Join us on Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, and our website at ourcommonground.com. Twitter follow at JaniceOCG. Have a great weekend. See you next week, and join us on TruthWorks on Wednesdays and Fridays, 10 p.m. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. So I'm
2: not asking you for the truth. I know the truth. I know enough. And so what I'm asking you is, what is your in game?